I'm resisting the urge to say, all right, welcome back to the Let's Talk About God podcast and start with something different. Now, why do you want to break it? You, 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 it's, it's, your, it's your calling card. It's, it's your signature. <laughs> I don't think I want it to be my signature. <laughs> I think it's my, I didn't know anything else to say, so I just started saying that. We could do, let's talk about God. <laughs> I don't know. I think we might lose our listeners after that because that's a little hokey. Well, that that's, was the point. That's hilarious. Well, how's the how's summer been going? Actually, no. Let's first start with this. How does it feel to be back in the saddle? I'm back in the saddle again. Feeling uh, good? Yeah. I, for our listeners, um, we're, we're in the month of July as we record this, but I took a sabbatical in June, uh, which I desperately needed, and it worked. It did exactly what it was supposed to do, and I feel like I've come back refresh sometimes you get to get out of the forest so you can see the trees and mm-hmm. and it helps me to um just see the big picture and talk to god and hear from him so um coming back with some initiatives and some vision fresh vision of what i want us to do here at high praises and some cultural things which are which will be challenging because the toughest thing to change is culture mm-hmm. in any organization but i think because uh the things that i'm I feel led to do are very are spiritual in nature. Uh, I think it'll be a little bit easier because it'll flow out of who we are as children of God. I see what you're saying. It's nothing controversial or anything crazy. It's like it getting back back to back the, to the basics. Back, in to, the, back, back, back to the basics. Back to the Bible. Back to the Bible. Back to being the church. Yeah, exactly. And I, that's what I said. I think it's it's there are things that will resonate with everybody, and they're going to be like, yeah, let's do it. So definitely, uh, I'm excited. Well, that's awesome. How's it feel to be back in the podcast saddle, sitting in front of the mic? You know, I missed this. <laughs> I did. I, I just um, I missed this. This is this is fun. You and I, for our listeners, Evan and I have fun. I mean, this is like one of those things in in our very very busy weeks. This is the thing that we look forward to. Oh yeah, definitely. And Make we, time for it. Yeah, and uh, your mom and I drove to Helen, Georgia, for a day trip, uh, and we listened to the podcast that your mom was on. Yeah, and um, and I thought, man, she did good. You know, we were yeah. we were a nice little tag three way tag team there, as <laughs> father son. But but um, you know, we were talking about how we've got we've got some positive feedback on that because mm-hmm. you know some people if they didn't grow up in legalism they'd have no idea yep. but there there are a lot of people that grew up in grew up in churches or went attended a church that was legalistic and they it resonated with them yeah exactly and so hopefully we help some folks definitely and uh while you were gone that was two episodes ago last episode um it was an honor to have dr brian crib on right wish you could have been there for that but that's all right might have to have him on again sometime in the future but we need man, to do that he, he did a fantastic job and it was cool catching up and uh just having a great conversation about the old testament with him so if you haven't checked that one out feel free to go check that out um he's he's just incredible, and I think it'll clarify some misconceptions about the Old Testament. But that one was a lot of fun too. But so, did you all figure it out? Is the God of the Old Testament same as the God of the New Testament? Turns out he is. He is. You know, wasn't wow. so sure. Kind of, you know. <laughs> but Doctor could convince me, so I think we're good. You're kidding. Yes, completely kidding. Hey, I'm excited about today's episode. Um, today we are talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And uh, if you're in church, if you're a Christian, you, you probably hear about the kingdom of God. Um, often you, you 
you know, you kind of hear that language used. We know that Jesus Christ is our King. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And we kind of use that language, but I'm excited to, to really take a deep dive into what does the kingdom of God actually look like? What is it? What does it mean? Um, and how do we kind of filter the Bible through that? And so I just wrote down like a little definition asking what is the kingdom of God? And I just said simply, the kingdom of God is God's established rule and reign over all of his creation. It's a spiritual kingdom, and it's going to be physically manifested at Christ's return. What's your what's your short five-second, ten-second definition of the kingdom of God? If I shortened it, I would just say that it's the rule and reign of God. Yeah. So if you want to make it Cliff Notes version, it's the rule and reign of God. There's a word that, that I think we need to use here. Um, that is really important because it is a characteristic or trait of God, and mm-hmm. it is the sovereignty of God. Yeah. So it is. So, so whenever you hear us talk about the sovereignty of God, it's that He's large and in charge. As somebody said, you know, kid, kiddingly, yeah. jokingly, He's God. You know, He's He's in He's in control, and He is the sovereign over the the whole earth. And and as we start down this road. What we think is that he's ruled since creation, mm-hmm. and he will rule throughout all eternity. Absolutely. And so he's in charge. And boy, if there's ever a concept that every listener ought to grab a hold of, is that God's in control. Yeah. Because it will get you. We're going to get practical right out the gate. Because if there is anything that will get you through every trial, trouble, difficulty, disaster, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. How do I deal with this? How do I keep my faith intact? Here's what you do. Every time something happens, you say, I don't like this. My world's turned upside down, but there's one thing I know. God is still in control. To know that Christ is on the throne is comforting beyond all else. He's still on the throne. I think that's fantastic. And I think as we look at the kingdom of God specifically, this is my uh, personal opinion, but this is why I'm so excited to talk about it. I believe that the kingdom of God is the primary theme throughout all of Scripture. I believe that the kingdom of God can be traced from beginning to end, and that all of Scripture, the entire redemptive narrative, is about God establishing his kingdom among his creation. And I I would say specifically we see it through this method of kingdom through covenant. So God's establishing his kingdom by giving us covenants. And um, we do have a covenant episode, one of our earlier ones on, if you want to go learn about biblical covenants. But you oftentimes hear about the Old Testament or the New Testament with the New Covenant. Um, I think all throughout the Bible we see God establishing his kingdom using covenants to do it. Right, you have the old covenant and the new covenant, mm-hmm. and what we're, what you're going to hear us say today, um, and I think you're going to deal more with the Old Testament, me with the New Testament. We decided to do it that way, but the but what I said earlier is that God has always ruled, and that He will rule all the way through eternity. That's that's a really solid old covenant, Old Testament understanding. Mm-hmm. The New Testament understanding is that God the Father has committed that rule to His Son, God the Son. Yep. So he is now the administrator of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And by the way, before we get any deeper than this, let's just clear up something. At times you're going to hear us say the kingdom of heaven, and then times you might hear us say the kingdom of God. They are not two different things. Yeah, They are synonymous. They are exactly the same. Matter of fact, I don't have the scripture right now, but I could find it. But there's actually a scripture where Jesus actually 
says the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in the same verse, in the oh, same really? sentence, wow. referring to the same thing. Yeah. So just so you won't be confused there, there's not a difference between the two. Yeah, referring to the same things. Yeah. yeah. So, But you're right. It is about – because if it's a king, there's got to be subjects. Mm-hmm. So the, the the king of any sovereign nation always – or the sovereign king always has a relationship with the people. Yep. And I might be getting ahead of us. I mean, there's yeah. always a king. There's about, always about to hit that, hit right that here. land and whatever. And you're yeah. going to touch on that. So in the old Testament, it was the, the, the Jews in the new Testament. It's the redeemed. Yeah. And, and he has this covenant relationship with us. So you're exactly right. I think you're right. I think it is the theme th- from Genesis to revelation. It's, it's clearly there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You start at chapter one of Genesis and it goes all the way through to, to revelation, to revelation, the yeah. final chapter. Absolutely. And I think what we want to do today is, so we're going to go into depth on what the kingdom of God is. Like, we're going to break it down and, um, and, and, and reveal the nature of the kingdom of God. But before that, what we want to do is we want to kind of give you a framework for reading the Bible, for reading the Old Testament. How do you trace this theme of the kingdom of God all the way from the Old Testament into the New Testament and kind of give you that lens to work with? So let's go ahead and start with Genesis. Where do we see the kingdom of God in Genesis? We see the kingdom of God um, right from the get-go. And so here's how it kind of plays out. With every kingdom, you've got three things. You've got a king, you've got a land, and you've got people. And so in Genesis, we see God who is our king. He's the king of all of creation. So he's the one calling the shots. He's the one creating the universe. He's bringing order out of chaos. And so what he's doing is he's establishing his earth. He's establishing land. He's establishing um, everywhere that he's going to physically rule and reign. And so he's calling the shots, and then he's forming this creation. But after he gets done forming the earth, and after he gets done forming animals and fish and bugs and plants and all of these different things, he creates for himself a people. He creates humanity. And so these are people that he's able to rule over, that he does rule over, um, that are man and woman. But here's what's really cool, and here's where we see this distinct kingdom motif. See, humanity is made in the image of God. And so what God did is he created Adam and Eve, and he made them in his image, which means not that humanity physically looks like Adam and Eve, but in the way that they act, in the way that they rule, in the way that they treat one another. And he says, I give you dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the land animals. He gives them dominion over that and of all the land of the earth. And so what does it mean to give them dominion? He's basically saying, I'm going to rule through you. Here's some authority. You're going to represent me in everything that you do on the earth, represent my rule, my reign, my dominion. You'll obey me, and when people see you, they'll see me. And so this is like we talked about, I don't remember what podcast it was, but that term vice regents, mm-hmm. right? So to means to represent the king, represent the kingdom, to almost be acting on his behalf. And so God is ruling, and he is ruling through us. That is humanity's uh, uh, original design and God's intention for us to rule over this kingdom, this world that he's created. And then in Genesis chapter 3 comes the fall, comes the saddest part of Scripture. And what happens is humanity actually chooses their own kingdom over God's kingdom. Because what does Satan do? He convinces Eve, you know, he says, God knows you'll be just like him, knowing good and evil. And so he convinces Eve, you can be your own king, your own God, 
in control on the same level as him. You can be you can be gods too. And so humanity buys into the lie that they can be their own god and their own king and they choose their own kingdom. And then from then on, you see this sort of war, this sort of butting heads between the 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 kingdom of Satan, right? The the prince of the power of the air and the kingdom of God. And then for the rest of scripture, what are we seeing? We're seeing God establishing his kingdom over Right, the kingdom of Satan. Right, through redemption. Exactly. Um, and and what is very important to note, so if this concept is new for you, we were – Jack Hayford, uh, Dr. Jack Hayford has done a really good job of this. If I remember, it was kind of his niche, was mm-hmm. the whole kingdom of God. And he says – you were talking about vice reason. He says we're kingdom agents, which is another way to term it. Yeah. But when we fell, when Adam fell and was the federal head of the human race, so we all fell – and became sinners, and death entered humanity. Um, there was just not the fact that th- that there was a disruption of God's reign over humanity, and 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 now what? There was a loss. There was a forfeiture that took place. Mm-hmm. So we forfeited our dominion to to the devil. Yeah. So we became so sad. We went from being subjects of the king to slaves of a of a tyrant. Yeah. All the time buying into the lie that we could be our own kings and have our own power, and yet we're slaves. Which is what the devil's been doing now for millennia is the lie that he still tells. Is yep. that you don't need God. You can be your own man, your own woman, do your own thing. Yep. You don't need God when the reality is we were created in the image of God. We were created to have a relationship with God. That's the whole reason we're sucking air. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have that, you'll never – you'll never. And, and so we went from freedom to bondage. Yep. It was just a, a terrible, terrible loss. Um and we became, and so instead of subduing, we became subdued. Yeah. Instead of dominating in a positive, and that's a positive word, not a negative word. There, when he says have dominion, uh, but instead of being dominating, we were dominated. I mean, just think about everything mm-hmm. that we should have been. Ex- and here's the thing: eventually, I think God knew that Satan was going to show up on Earth. He w- he had been kicked out of heaven, and so he and he did. He showed up in the garden. Mm-hmm. We we should have been acting as agents to subdue the devil through the power and authority of God. But instead of subduing the devil, the devil's got us subdued. So that's why we always talk about Genesis is the beginning point of everything. Yep. If you don't have Genesis chapters one, two, and three, you don't know what the rest of scripture is really about. What's the point? It does. It sets the table for all the way through the end of the Bible. Yep. And so when you understand, then we'll get into this a little bit. And that's, that's a great thing about the new Testament is in the redemption, the work of Christ, it is the reestablishment of what was lost. What yep. paradise lost is gained, regained, and again, the kingdom of God is restored through Jesus Christ now. And once again, once you're saved, you're born again, mm-hmm. you become that kingdom agent again. Yep, exactly. No, I think that's fantastic, and that's why we want to kind of spend spend a lot of that time on Genesis right there is is just for that reason, is that it it actually sets the table, the framework, the way that you're going to read the rest of the New Testament is this, um, is in Genesis. And so as we move on from from Genesis, right, humanity has fallen. They've chosen their own kingdom, Satan's kingdom. God wants to establish his kingdom on the earth. Here's what you're going to see. You're going to see that theme of a king, a land, and a people all throughout Scripture, and especially in God's dealing with Israel. 
So here's what happens. There are a few chapters, obviously, later on. Then we get to Genesis chapter 12, and God meets Abram. He presents himself to Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham. And here's what he promises Abraham. Um, He essentially says, trust in me as Lord, um, which would make God king, right? Lord, master over his life. And he says, leave the land of your family right now and go into a land I'm promising you, which is the land of Canaan. So God's bringing Abram or Abraham into a special land, and he says, I'm going to give you a child, and I'm going to give you descendants, and kings will come from your descendants. Kings of nations will come from your descendants. And so we see this um, this sort of theme of God once again being Lord and King, bringing his people into a specific land, and then um, ruling over his own specific people, calling a specific people out and out of them the, like the, the davidic line and the kings having kings that rule absolutely and this is all though true in a, in a national sense yes in but a still, national sense it's there yeah you're seeing the theme of what the god theme. is going to do spiritually through a physical actual people right and so then we carry that on into exodus i'm sorry if, if it seems like i'm repeating myself but you just see this theme traced over and over and over so what's what's happening now well, God's followed through with his promise to Abraham, and so now Abraham has all of these descendants, but they're not living in their land. They're enslaved in Egypt. So what does God do? He sets them free from Egypt, um, and he promises, once again, you're my people, so he calls them out specifically as um, his people, and he is their God, and he's promising them, follow me, and I'm going to take you into a land. So we see God as king. We see God promising to bring them into this promised land from Egypt, from the wilderness, and we see specifically God's people. And so as we look through the, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, that's where we get to the law, right? And so God's giving out his commandments, and especially with you know Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we skip over some of those parts, but it's integral to the idea of God's people. Because now what is he doing? God is bringing his people out of Egypt, but then he is shaping them to look like him. And so he gives them laws and, um, and morals and ways of living that reflect his holy character. And what's the reason? He told them that he wants them to be a light to the nations. He wants them to make a difference. So what are we seeing now? We're seeing the king God bringing them into a specific land to rule and reign on his behalf, to be a light for God, to do his work, to do his kingdom work, to affect the rest of the world. Dr. Cribb talked about on the last podcast that Israel was specifically placed in the middle physically of all of these pagan nations for the purpose of doing the kingdom work, spreading the image of God throughout the earth, and and, and ruling and reigning on him. And teaching the law. And teaching the the laws of God. And by the way, this is, I'm just going to interject some things here. You're doing a great job, Evan, with this. Um, We live in a democracy, a a republic, a republic with a republican democracy. And and so we vote on everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we have legislatures and legislators and and elections, and we vote on things, Um, and which is great. Thank God it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, So we, we, we threw off the reins of King George. 200 plus years ago and yeah. America was born. But here's the thing. So, so we don't understand Kings because we, we revolted against that. Yeah. So what we called a revolution, they called a rebellion. It just depends <laughs> on which side of the fence you were. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. So we, we don't understand Kings, but the King doesn't have elections. Okay. And a true kingdom, not like 
England where the the queen is queen elizabeth is really a figurehead mm-hmm. okay because they have a parliament in a true uh sovereign situation the king whatever he says is the law there's yep. no election he'll he'll just say okay this shall be the law of the land and then he'll make this statement and that's it that's, yep. it's done you don't if you dispute it uh it will not go well for you because you'll be seen as a traitor or a rebel mm-hmm. and so god is the king, and we need to grab that. We American believers need to grab that. If you're an American believer, if you're you know you're not, but you're part of a democracy, we need to kind of grab a hold of that and say, you know what? Just because I don't like something that God said, I don't have the choice to elect. To use yeah. a word there, I'm going to elect or choose to say, you know what? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not buying that. I'm not going for that. It's not how it works. You don't get to vote. You don't get to negotiate. He is the king of your life, and that's what you've got to understand. Is if he's the king. Then whatever he says becomes not the law of your land, the law of your life. Yep. And so that's what he was doing. But his laws are good. Everything he says is always good for you. And so Israel, going back then, Israel was supposed to be because the, the nation surrounding them, Evan, they were corrupt. They were evil. Did oh, some bad they were things. perverted. They were warped. They were like on the. They were like serial killer type yep. people. They had this god called Moloch that you would actually build a fire. Underneath the arms of the the Moloch idol would go mm-hmm. out, and there would be a fire right up under those arms, and you would put your baby in it, and you would burn your baby to death and offer your baby as a sacrifice. Mm. Now that was their worship system to yeah. a god that didn't even exist; it was demonic, and and they were just they were off the chart. Yeah. And so God was hoping that He could shine the light through them through Israel. Yeah. And, and then the sad part is they didn't do it. They instead were influenced by the pagan culture and. Yep. suffered punishment for Ex- it. Exactly. Yeah. And so as we see, I think that's a fantastic point. Thanks for keeping me practical here. No, that's just, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. trying to get us through cause I don't want to talk for an hour on this. We're, we're tag team. <laughs> tag team me. Stop me. Um, but I think that's fantastic that God's forming his people. And then his people have to obey him. They've got to look like him. And that's, the same thing for us today. Yes. And I think that's a good point of why the Old Testament is still relevant. We don't just throw it out. Right. Why? Because these these themes and these motifs, though played out in a physical people, have true, real spiritual ramifications for us. They reveal something about God. Absolutely. And so after we after the 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 first five books of the Bible we move into Joshua. And so what's happening now is God's called his people out, but there's still this land that he's promised, right? And the land has to be taken. It has to be taken from other people. And so we see this guy, Joshua, who's the new leader. He's replaced Moses. Now, we need to be clear here. Joshua is not a king. He's Correct. not a king. But in a way, he plays sort of this king-like figure. Not that he's ruling and reigning, but he's fighting the battles for his people. And so we sort of see this this warrior king motif, much like that's who who God is, right? He's this warrior king who fights our battles. Um, Joshua's name is translated roughly Yahweh is salvation. Well, Jesus has a form of Joshua's name, which also means Yahweh is salvation. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua, right? It means the same thing. Same thing. And so what we see Joshua doing Joshua, through the power of the Lord, God's the one fighting the battles, right? But Joshua is is this king-like figure, this warrior king, fighting battles to get to the promised land, which is a place of rest and peace and life for God's people. And so I think it's interesting that we continue to see that kingdom motif there. And when we look at Jesus, who also is Yahweh is salvation, he does the same thing for us. But instead of fighting physical battles, 
Um, he fights his battles on a cross as our warrior king and defeats Satan's sin and death on our behalf to bring his people into a place of spiritual peace and rest um, and, and that, that spiritual promised land. And then we continue to see an actual kingdom motif through King David because what happens is um, Israel decides they want a human king um, and they want one like the other nations. So God's like, fine, I'll give you what you want. He gives them King Saul and King Saul is a disaster. Yep. And then God said, all right, now that you've had a fun time with that, I'm going to choose a king who's actually going to serve me, um, who is good. And so he chooses King David. And then he promises King David, there's going to be someone from your line that's going to rule forever. And so now in the time of King David, what do we see? Israel's at relative peace. They're in their land and they have a king. And so we see once again, this idea of just land, people, king, land, people, king, land, people, king. And God's chosen this king for them. Um, and yet God's promises still haven't been fully accomplished because they're not really a light to the nations, right? Stuff's not really perfect. They still do have enemies, but you see once again this motif. And we have this promise that, that this king from David's line will always be on the throne. Well, then fast forward, God's people fall into sin. They're not serving him. They don't become a light to the nations. They become influenced by the nations. And so God judges them and punishes them by sending Babylon um, to come take them over and, and attack them. And now all of these things God has promised, this land king people, land king people is stripped from them and it's gone. But there is this last king of Judah who has come from David's line um, named Jehoiakim. And uh, it, it's interesting to show that even in Babylonian, Babylonian captivity, um, right at the, ends of the, at the end of that, God promotes him. And he actually takes off his prisoner clothes and sits at the king's table. It's almost, almost as if God is saying, look, I know I've judged you and your entire nation has gone into captivity, but I'm not through with my promises yet. I will still give you a king and a people and a land. Just hold on. And so it's interesting how God is carrying that motif on, how he's going to follow through in his promises. And then finally in the Old Testament, I think this is helpful, is Daniel. Daniel gives us such a clear picture of the kingdom motif in the Old Testament, specifically Daniel chapter 7, because now God's people are in Babylonian captivity, and you have this guy named Daniel, and Daniel chapter 7, he gets this vision. In the entire book of Daniel, you see um, God ruling and reigning in the midst of human governments that oppose him. You know, governments that want to throw people into a den of lions or throw people into a fiery furnace, that they want them to worship the kings and the pagans and all these other things. And so in, uh, in this vision, Daniel sees four beasts, and the beasts represent these kingdoms. And then there's this fourth beast who's especially evil and creepy and crazy, and he's got all these horns, and, and, and they represent all of these things. And, and, um, and, and the, the beast is actually persecuting the saints, the people who serve God. But then there's the Ancient of Days. He's clothed, clothed in glory, um, and he sits on his throne to judge, and we would know him to be the Father. He's, he's in white. God the Father. God right. the Father, yeah, and he's in white, and he's in glory, and he's sitting down, and, and he destroys the fourth beast. And for some reason, he allows the three other kingdoms to stay for just a little while, but it's clear that um, he's on the throne. And then we see one like a son of man. This means somebody who looks like a human but is not a human, they're obviously different. They're given dominion and rule that's everlasting. 
And so we know this to be the Son, Jesus Christ, who is one like a son of man. He is actually human and God at the same time. And so we see this rule and this dominion given above all nations. And then it says that the saints of the Most High receive and possess the kingdom of God, and all dominions will bow low to King Jesus, um, who we know to be King Jesus now. And I think it's interesting that as we hop to the New Testament, and I'll shut my yapping mouth, as we hop to the New Testament, um, Jesus is most often referred to the son of David and the son of man. And so the son of David being the one promise to King David that someone would rule and reign on his throne forever. This was seen as the Messiah, the Savior, that Jesus has come from the line of David to rule and reign and bring peace to, to Israel. And then we see the Son of Man, that this one like the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, who's come to rule um, over all of the kingdoms of the world and is given this dominion. Jesus doesn't really deny it. He's like, yeah, I am that Son of Man. Uh, yeah, and you've done a fantastic job of, in a synopsis, Evan, taking us through the Old Testament. I think you've done an excellent job with this, um, and you're showing that that there's there's this theme, the three elements. Um, it's seen in a physical, natural mm-hmm. state, but we're also with Daniel's vision getting apocalyptic here, and yeah, there's eschatol- <laughs> eschatology, and we're looking into the future, um, and and the creepy. Creature, you said, with the horns, we know that's a symbol of the Antichrist. Yep. So we're talking about the tribulation period, yeah. which is really fascinating. Um, but I love that story because it's just like a great movie where you got the good guy and the bad guy. And the bad guy is the Antichrist, and he's rising up. And yet God steps in, and the Son of Man comes in, and he destroys him. And then he sets up this kingdom that, that's going to It gave rain. me chills as I read it. It's oh. like too. It's like too big of a picture to handle. It's oh, crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it and he, and he rules and reigns. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: it, it, that's the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is um, with the Jewish people. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the Old Testament, and there there is an economy with Israel that is in place. It's it's on pause right now because we're in the Church Age. Okay, but it will reignite or restart, or continue uh, when the church age ends. Mm-hmm. I think that happens at the rapture and then the tribulation period. And so it will, it will continue what, what we call Daniel's 70th week, and we won't get into all that. Maybe we can talk about that one time. Yeah. But what about the rest of humanity? Yep. Okay, so we're talking about this small segment of humanity, and the biblical term is is if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what about the Gentiles? Because there are a whole lot more Gentiles than there are Jews. Yep. Okay. Not, not I'm just not talking about now, but throughout the ages. Mm-hmm. So where do we fit in? What is wonderful is that God said, I just don't want to be the king and set up a kingdom and have land and have vice regents through the Jewish people. Yep. Let's take it beyond the Jewish people and let's get humanity. Because it wasn't just the Jews who lost their place in paradise in Genesis. It was all of humanity. Everybody. There, were, there weren't any Jews. There weren't any Jews. When Adam and Eve There said. was Adam and Eve. Yeah. So the point is, he starts with the Jews. Mm-hmm. But then he says, we've got to take it beyond this. And I want to include. And so he begins the New Testament, the New Covenant. We're going to have a new covenant. We're going to, we're going to change this up. And this is where Jesus Christ comes. And what is fascinating is that he sends the Son of Man, okay, the Son of David, like mm-hmm. you said, in the flesh, and he comes to this earth when the fullness of time had come. He said the time is right. 
And for 30 years, Jesus is the son of a carpenter and a carpenter himself and a blue-collar worker, and he's he's um, not on the scene in public eyes, in private, living his life in Nazareth. And then he comes out and begins his ministry. And what is the first thing he preaches? As a matter of fact, it's almost like it's the only thing he it's preaches. Like this is his main message. Initially. Initially, right. yeah. It is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yep. And what's interesting is the forerunner who John prepared the, the way for him, John the Baptist, preached the exact same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wow. And he said, the king is coming. There's one coming after me who's greater than me. Mm-hmm. And he's coming. And so the king is coming. And then Jesus showed up and said, the king is here, and now the kingdom is coming. And so you have this whole new uh, uh, understanding that there's a new dimension now. The the administrator, like I said earlier at the beginning of the podcast, Jesus, the, the administrator, the God, the Father, the sovereign, has given that authority to the Son. And we won't get into the whole Godhead thing again, but that's yeah. something they, they did intentionally showing us so we understand how that's working in the Godhead. And if you've never like caught this before, don't feel bad. This just kind of brings up a memory for me when you when you talked about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I remember my like first year at college, my professor got up and said, "What's the main what was the main message that Jesus preached?" And immediately it's salvation, sin, forgiveness, whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he said the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and I remember my mind just like blew and I was like, the kingdom of God. Yeah. He preached what? Yeah. Where's sin? Where's forgiveness? Where's salvation? And then he began to lay it out for me. And it's all in the kingdom of God. Yeah. But don't feel bad if you've just missed it. You know what I mean? I just missed it. Well, and that's why we're doing this podcast yep. today is because maybe for most of our listeners, they're thinking, what? I never yep. I never thought about that. Yeah. He preached. He started preaching the kingdom of mm-hmm. God. All of those parables, which we'll get into in a minute. Mm-hmm. Where he said the kingdom of God is like the kingdom of God. It's what he talked about. The king, I confer upon you a kingdom. So it is. It is about. He talks about eschatology. They when he was at the temple, mm-hmm. and they said, "What, what what's it, what's it going to be like at the end of times and whatever?" And he talks about him coming back yeah. and setting up a kingdom on this earth. So it is. It is. It is the theme of the Bible, and it, it was the theme of Jesus. So how does that fit us? So let's talk about that for a minute. How does that fit us? For me, I see. Four dimensions mm-hmm. of the kingdom of God in the New Testament. So we're going to get really practical right here, okay? Because you've been we've been throwing a lot of data at you, whatever. Yeah. But here's how. So here's here's the one. So here's some things I'm going to teach you. Number one, how do you get in the kingdom of God? Okay, that's where redemption, salvation comes in. Salvation is the doorway to the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do you get in the kingdom? Jesus said, "Repent." That's a salvation term. So I turn from my sins and I turn to God. I turn away from the devil and I turn to the turn away from my kingdom. I turn away from my kingdom, right? Yep. To his kingdom. So second, it's in John chapter three when Nicodemus came. Jesus said two things to Nicodemus that are important. He said, and I want, I'm gonna give this to you. He said, mm-hmm. unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that's the new birth, mm-hmm. regeneration. Okay, being born again. So you can't even see it. All right. So it, you say, well, I'll try it through works. I'll try it through religion. He says, it's not going to get you there. There's only one way that you can even see the kingdom of God in your life, and that is you have to be born again. A few verses later, he said, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. And so th- there's discussions. Does that mean you got to get baptized and saved, mm-hmm. or does that mean 
water, you know, when you're born, there's, there's water, a woman's water breaks. So sometimes that's symbolic of a natural birth, but then there's got to be a spiritual birth, which I tend to lean that direction. But unless one is born of water and the spirit, mm-hmm. okay, well, if you're born of the spirit, that again is just another way of saying the new birth of regeneration. Mm-hmm. He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So you have to be born again, born of the spirit. You have to repent. And when that happens, you enter into the kingdom of God. So when you're saved, you become a part of the kingdom of God. All right. I like to say that in every person, there is a throne in your heart. And right now, sin and Satan are on that throne. But when you get saved, sin and Satan get kicked off the throne. And Jesus comes in and moves in on the throne. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, um, for me, when you get saved, you not only accept Jesus as Savior, you have to accept Jesus as Lord. Yeah. That if you if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you shall be saved. You have to confess with your mouth that the devil's not my Lord, sin is not my Lord, I'm not even in control of my life anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay? There's one person that's in control. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. That's how you get saved. So this is really important because I just don't want to get saved so I don't go to hell and now I can go to heaven. I want to get saved because I'm going to get into his kingdom. I want to be part of his program, his plan, his dominion, what he's doing. He wants me on board with him. Okay, yep. And I'm not just some random subject of the king. He adopted me. I'm a prince. If you're a woman, you're a princess. You know, We're, yep. we're princes and princes of the king. We're children of the king. So we have a personal vested interest in this, not just as just some random anonymous person, but as as a family member. Yeah. Okay. It's the family business. <laughs> the kingdom is, our, is the family business. Okay. And so and so that's the first part. How do you get in the kingdom? Second is once you're saved, Jesus is the sovereign. He rules in you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Jesus is in charge. And so he's the king, you're his subject, and that means, this is very practical, but I think this needs to be said, that means you live to serve him, you live to obey him, you live to do what he says to do, mm-hmm. because he's the king and you're the subject. And anything less than that is rebellion. So people say, hey, I'm saved, I'm going to church, praise the Lord, hallelujah, I feel good, man, I feel good, I feel like I got God on my side, I got a lot of good things happening in my life. Okay, Wonderful. But let me just say, there's a there's a demand from you now. Is you have to live holy. Mm-hmm. There's a standard of righteousness for you. You have to talk right. You have to live right. You have to think right. You have to decide right. You can't say things you used to say. There's a change, a transformation in your life because you are representative of the king. And that goes back to Exodus as God's giving his people his law. He's calling them out to be representatives of the king, to right. look like him. And now we look like him. Yep. We're conformed or transformed in the image of Jesus, mm-hmm. who is the king. Yep. And so when we go into work, when we're in our neighborhood, when we're playing golf, when we're shopping at Dillard's or wherever you shop in the mall or wherever, um, people are around you. When you're at a restaurant, a server's talking to you. You're Can I rep- say online when you're on Facebook? When you're online, <laughs> when you're on Facebook, and yeah, you want to type, tap on those key that keyboard, something that you should – you're representing Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be careful what you say and do because you're a representative of the king. And you don't want to make the king look bad. I've seen a lot of people make, try to make the king look bad mm-hmm. because they said and did things they shouldn't have done. And so Jesus even showed this to us. I mean, this is why we're supposed to pray, not my will, but your will be done. That's good. I mean, in the garden, got the, the king, God the Father, mm-hmm. wanted the son to go to the cross. And his in his flesh, he didn't want to. And, and listen, y'all, 
That's going to be the battle. If you're serving God, that's going to be the battle to the day you die. Mm-hmm. Is in your spirit, you know what you ought to do and you want to do it. But your flesh is going to say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to say this. I want to, that guy just cut me off in traffic. I want to, I want to show him one of my fingers <laughs> and not my thumb, you know, I, and I want to, and I want to say some things. It's, it's the battle of the flesh and Jesus flesh didn't want to go to the cross, mm-hmm. but his spirit knew he had the spirit man, the God, the divine part yeah. said, he, so there was a conflict in the flesh, but he, he eventually, how did he win? He looked at the King and said, I know what I want. I know what my flesh really wants, but I'm not gonna let my flesh win. Father, whatever you want, not mm-hmm. my will, your will. Be Y'all, that's how you have to live life every day. God, not what I want, what you want. And then when you do that, you do the will of God, just as Jesus did the will of God. So the third, so that's the second thing. Third aspect is that salvation makes you an ambassador to the king. So we said the kingdom of authority was lost in the Garden of Eden, but once we're saved, it's restored. Okay. And Jesus said to the disciples something really cool. He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Mm. So whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Keys always represent authority. So he's saying, I'm giving you the authority of the kingdom. So we're not just passive subjects of the kingdom, but we are active regents of the kingdom or agents. And so that what is that authority for? All right. Satan has entered in. So Satan is the adversary, the arch enemy of the kingdom of God. He's the God of this world. He's the prince of this world. So there's a world system, mm-hmm. okay, full of sinful people who have a demonic force that is headed up by a fallen angel named Lucifer. All right, so you have the conflict of these two kingdoms. And what we're doing through evangelism and preaching the gospel is we're we're binding the strong man. Well, how do we do that? We do that through the power and authority of God, mm-hmm. and we're preaching the gospel, and people are getting set free and coming and being saved, and we're looting the kingdom of Satan. Well, he doesn't like that. He's not going to take, so there's there's a warfare that goes on. Yeah. But we're greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Jesus said, behold, I give you power or authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. So we, we as regents have this authority. We just have to exercise it. And so how do we do that? We go out in the world and we preach the gospel. We shine the light in the darkness. We speak truth where there's deception. That's why it's really important right now in this society we're in, there's so much darkness out there and deception and untruth, whether that's about abortion or about the LBGTQ whole concept. Uh, you know, we got to right now there's a, a Democratic um, guy running trying to get the nomination for the president who is who is gay, but he loves to talk about how he's a Christian and goes to church. I'm, well, that's that's I mean, he can say it all day long. But the king of the kingdom, if he would speak up, called God, which he has in his Bible, would say, no, you're not. That's not how it works. You can't because I'm not for that. Mm-hmm. That's an abomination to me. So you can call your something all day long. But but you're, see, we've got to be able to speak and shine the light. We do it in love. We, we don't do it, you know, the people who are mean and in your face. That's never going to get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. But we speak, with, we speak the truth in love and humility, and we try to help shine the light in the darkness. And there is a saying that I have. That what we do in this world, Evan, is we undo what the devil's done. We loose mm. what the devil's bound. That's good. We heal what the devil's hurt. We mend what the devil's broken. That's that's what we do. So yeah. we deliver people. We heal people through the power of God. We go in and help the drug addict. We go in and help the drunkard. We go in and help the single mom who's struggling 
we, we're, we're, a, we're a source of blessing and hope and help to people so that they can be freed from that and they can know the truth. And then they get saved. And guess what? They become ambassadors of the king and they can walk in that same power. Wow. And we don't have time to talk about this. But by the way, the power of the kingdom is the, is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Is the power of God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because in, Genesis, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is showing himself alive to the disciples after his resurrection. Mm-hmm. And he said, and they said, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They said, still didn't get it. No, and they wanted that kingdom, that Old Testament thing that you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. They wanted, they thought that, and they, he's like, man, you're not getting it. We're not overthrowing Rome. No, no, we're not overthrowing Rome. This is a spiritual kingdom. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's not for you to know times and seasons, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you're going to be witnesses to me mm-hmm. in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the earth. And when they got that, when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they understood this is a spiritual kingdom. Okay, then they were able to go forth and man, they turned Rome upside down. They turned the known world upside down. They preached the gospel and God used them and Satan just got his whole realm got disrupted Mm. because that was what they were called to do. It's what we're called to do. Finally, um, the last thing is that when you're uh, glorified, okay, you have been justified, you're being sanctified, one day you're going to be glorified. Yeah. So when you die or Jesus comes, we have glorified bodies, you, you, if you're born again, you will rule and reign with Jesus for in his millennial reign, the thousand-year reign. Yeah. Now, this gets into eschatology, but I want to read something. Revelation 1, 5, and 6, uh, this is the, the, uh, the prologue to the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. John said to him, Jesus, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings. Mm. There it is. Has made us kings and priests to his God and his father. So I know when you and I were talking about this message, we were talking about, and, and I know you haven't mentioned it, but the, um, how's it goes? Already, not yet? Yeah, the concept of the already, but the not yet. The already, but the not the yet. The kingdom's already here. But not yet. But not yet. And that's that future kingdom. Yep. Okay, so it's already here in a spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. But when Jesus comes back and sets up a kingdom on this earth, it's not yet here, but it's going to happen. And, man, what a day. And I get excited about this. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to come back with all of us who are saved and glorified. And it's at the end of the tribulation. And he's going to set up a one-world government. There will be a true theocracy on this earth. And the center, the, the the earth's capital, we've never had that. The earth's capital will be Jerusalem. Yep. Okay. And within that, there will be something special for the Jewish people. David, who who is alive in heaven, will come back as the, as the co-regent, the regent, the yeah. vice regent of, of, uh, of the Jewish people. And then around this world will be the nations. Everything will still be like it is today, except... You won't have elections or you won't have corrupt kings. Everybody in power from the mayor to the city council to the county council to the county administrator to the governor to the state legislatures to the presidents to the kings of every nation, of every county, of every city, of every state, all over this world, everybody in power will be a glorified saint of God. Wow. Serving one kingdom. Serving one kingdom, preaching righteousness. Sin will not be tolerated, and it is going to be an awesome day. Now, that sounds really far down the road. How is that important? I've always preached this for years. What we are doing now on earth is preparatory for what we're going to do in the kingdom of God in the thousand-year reign. Mm -hmm. 
So people say, I don't need to go to church. Yes, you do, because when you come to church, that's where I get to train you. If you'll come to church, I get to train you and teach you to prepare you for when you will be in charge. I don't need to serve in the church. Oh, yes, you do. I got to get you, teach you and equip you, help to teach you what, what it's like to be a leader, teach you the traits of a leader, of a godly leader, how to serve people, how to work with people, how to minister to people, because that's preparatory for one of these days, you're going to be in a position of power. You might be the governor of Anderson, South Carolina, or the, the mayor, rather, of Anderson, mm-hmm. or the governor of South Carolina. Okay? And so it's preparatory. And so I hope people listening right now saying, wow, I didn't never thought about that. Yeah. You got to read your Bible because you're going to be a priest and a king. Yeah. A royal priesthood. And so that means it'll be your job to teach people who are not saved because there'll be unsaved people on the earth. It's your job to teach them the Bible. Yeah. Not just the preachers. Nope. You will be the preacher. You will be the one that will declare righteousness. Mm-hmm. I never thought about it. Yeah. That's why you got to, you got to learn how to, you need, you need to pray because you're going to be in direct communication with the king. Yeah. So this this whole kingdom wow. concept has has impact um, not just for them but but it has mm-hmm. impact for now. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Um, I I think we see. Uh, I don't even know what to say at this point, honestly. I think you just I think you just knocked it out. I think we just covered it. Well, I you know, and it is, and and it, and, and uh, you know, and I know that if you read the rest of the Bible, that was just Jesus. If you yeah. read the rest of the New Testament. Paul talks about there, yeah. the kingdom of heaven uh, in Romans, Colossians, Ephesians. I know we've got the scriptures, um, the other epistles. Well, can I ask you a question? Can I yeah. put you on the spot? Yeah. Tell me if you don't know the answer. So I've given you, I've given us some New Testament scriptures right here that mention the kingdom. Romans fourteen seventeen, Colossians 1, 13, a few, a few of those. But the New Testament, like epistles, does not really talk about the kingdom of God a whole lot. Like I kind of like cherry picked the few that were there. The rest of them don't seem to really be talking about the kingdom. I think they said there was like a hundred and three or something like that of of the references are in the gospels. And, there's eight in Acts, and I think the rest there's just a handful in the New Testament epistles. Why do you think that kingdom motif is not overly stated? Maybe like Jesus' ministry was in the epistles. All right, there's an answer to that. Okay. And the answer is because when Jesus left and the church was born, mm-hmm. okay, in the book of the starting with the book of Acts and the church was born, you started the church age. The Old Testament prophets could look ahead uh, and they could see the peaks of mountains as if they were standing looking at Cascade and they could see into the future th- through the Spirit of God. But between the coming of the Messiah and his death and resurrection and then his return Mm -hmm. to this earth to set up that millennial reign between those two mountaintops, there was a deep valley that they couldn't see and it was called the church age. And it's been going on for 2000 years. So what does that mean as far as the kingdom of God? How does that fit in? So the kingdom of God has always been with the Jewish people. So it goes back to what I said, what about the Gentiles? And, and so when Jesus comes, he says, I'm going to incorporate the Gentiles into this kingdom, but now we're going to create a new context, and we're going to call it the church. I'm going to do something radical that's a mystery that nobody saw coming. I'm going to take two groups that hate each other, Jews and Gentiles, called each other names. The Jews would not even eat in the same room with the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. There is tremendous animosity. I always say think of the worst 
racial tension in America, maybe in the 1950s or 60s or whatever, yep. before the civil rights. Just think of the worst animosity. God said, I'm going to take these two groups of people. I'm going to wash them in the blood of Jesus, redeem them, transform them, bring them together as brothers and sisters who love each other and can't wait to get together all the time and worship and eat together and fellowship. And I'm going to call it the church. And I'm going to take those redeemed people who've been born again. I'm going to take those people and I'm going to make them the kingdom agents. And in this church age, we're going to preach the gospel and we're going to undo with it. So the church is the vehicle that God uses now with everybody, not just the Jews, but with all the redeemed Jews and Gentiles. The, the church is the vehicle now to see the kingdom of God fleshed out. It is the precursor to what we're going to see in the millennial reign. It's the preview to the movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but it's called the church and that's a mystery. That was something fresh and new. It was always just the Gentiles. I mean, the Jews. So it's new. Well, it's important. Okay, so you have the kingdom of God not standing alone anymore, but now it is coupled with the church. And here's what I always say. Because we're in the church and we don't really understand the kingdom, we gravitate to the church. And we don't think about the kingdom. But the reality is the church fits. Really, I should say this because I talked about context. Really, the church fits in the context of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of God fitting in the context of the church. Mm. Because the church age will end, but the kingdom of God Will not. Will go on. Yeah. Okay. And so there will be an incorporation once again in the millennial reign where right now we're ruling together as, but like national Israel is not redeemed. National mm-hmm. Israel is not, doesn't serve the Lord, mm-hmm. you know. So there'll be a day though when that'll happen, when Israel will, Paul says in Romans, um, what is it, 10, 11, 12, that there will be a return, a return, and, and Israel will mm-hmm. come back national Israel. And we'll see that during the tribulation period. And when that happens, then the economy of Israel will reach this climactic point where now God comes. And so what he's promised to them as a people will be fulfilled. But it's not just them. The Jewish, I mean, Gentile believers who are glorified, they'll be part of that. It'll be together. But now in the millennial reign, and now we're just doing it as redeemed people, then we'll do it as glorified people. So that's why Paul and all the writers wrote about the church. Because that was the fresh new vehicle, and so they could talk about – if you'll notice, they may not mention the kingdom of God, but all they talk about are kingdom principles. So you would say that the overlying motif is there, and the language uses the church, which is the brand new sort of vehicle used to do it. Exactly. Kingdom doesn't disappear. It's just communicated. It's communicated through, through the, the church. church. Because that's that's something that has never been before. Mm-hmm. It's brand new. That's why Paul said it's a mystery. So that okay. So now that you've traced it back, let me confirm if what I'm saying is right. That now the church, instead of using overlying kingdom language, the church is the Jews and Gentiles come together now. Or before the kingdom was primarily used to talk about just the Jews. Is what you're saying. And so the church is now this brand new word and language of everybody who's called out Jew and Gentile fitting sort of snugly in the overall kingdom uh, conversation. Right. And and I think there's some other things. Right. And you're exactly right. And yeah. and, and then, you know, with with Gentiles, um, you know, with the, with the Jews, if you kept talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, they had one concept. That was their struggle. It was an earthly concept, and Jesus was trying to explain to them, you're not, you're not getting it, and the disciples. I think God may have couched it in the terms of the church and did the church on purpose to say, look, 
There's still a kingdom, but we got to get away from this concept of an earthly kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom. And so the church creates that venue for us to operate in this in the spiritual terms, mm-hmm. but still operate in a kingdom power yeah. and in a kingdom concept and with a kingdom uh, forward-looking mindset because we know one day there'll be a millennial reign and all this is going to – so I think that's why. I think that's why you have it's, – it's, it's the church age. Yeah. And so – but the language is there. The principles are there. They don't go away. Yeah. They're just understood now in – the church age. And is it possible to just throwing this out there? There are obviously clearly preaching Jesus in these churches. So, you know, if I'm writing in a, if I'm writing an epistle to a certain church, I may not mention the kingdom, but would the church not already understand the concept of the kingdom? If I'm preaching all of the teachings of Jesus, which are clearly all about the kingdom, oh, does that I- make sense? So if I'm writing a letter to you, I don't have to use this overt kingdom language because maybe you already have an understanding of it. Because we've been preaching all of these Jesus's messages and life and everything we find in the Gospels, anyways. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, you don't. It doesn't necessitate kingdom language because because maybe they think well they already have an understanding. I don't have to go to great pains to use all of this kingdom things because we've been preaching it in person for five years now. Well, and then the and then redemption. Think about it. Redemption creates this whole new world that involves so much and it is and it's part of the kingdom like mm-hmm. remember what i said the only way you can get in the kingdom of god is to be saved mm-hmm. to be redeemed so paul you say you're a, you're a barbaric pagan gentile and you're like what is this yeah what is all that so they understood kings and kingdoms because rome had a uh, a king you know caesar mm-hmm. so they all understood that they didn't understand the church they yeah. understand redemption. So I think Paul spent all his time talking about soteriology and redemption and justification and being saved by grace through faith and the mm-hmm. church. He spent a long time talking about the church yep. and the leadership in the church uh, and character transformation because those were the things that needed to be addressed. I think yeah. there was an understanding about rule and authority and Jesus is in charge. But how does that play out practically? Yeah. And how does that play out in my life? Yeah. And what does that mean? So if you read most of you know, Paul wrote half of the New Testament. Usually part of his letter was doctrinal. The other part was practical. Yep. Is I gotta, let's see how this fleshes out and plays out. Yeah. That, no, I think that's a great look at it. He's just dealing with the issues of the day. He's dealing with what he's got to deal with. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But, you know, you go back. Um, we, we haven't even talked about the kingdom parables, but I think we ought to touch on that for yeah, a minute. Definitely. Because if you go over to, say, Matthew 13, and I think Luke has some of these, mm-hmm. um, Jesus spoke these parables, and we know that they're kingdom parables because he introduces them with a particular phrase. And that phrase mm-hmm. goes like this. Um uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells this story. Now, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so I'm just I'm not going to do all of them, but I'll yeah, pick yeah. one. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. A lot of people have heard that. He said, which a man put in the ground, and it's just and it's the tiniest of all the seeds. You know, one of the t- it's a little tiny t ninety we say down south, mm-hmm. and he, but it, but it grows into this great big bush. The birds come and the birds of the air could come and sit in it. And so, what's the point? The point is that the kingdom of God in this spiritual kingdom right now, 
is going to start small, mm-hmm. but because it is the power of God and because it is, it's unstoppable. It's going to grow yep. until it's going to reach a place that's going to fill everything. And well, I think we've already seen that in a sense. Would you not say? It started small with twelve dudes, and, <laughs> and today the there's billions. how many billions of people who are Christians yep. confess Christians in America. So those those are the truths um, that Jesus has. Mm-hmm. I'll give you, for example. Uh, the hidden treasure. Again, the, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I don't know what that treasure is. If it was, uh, a, 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 you know, a vein of gold, or um, uh, he actually found a real treasure. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the pirates went in there and <laughs> and buried treasure. But it's it, but it's like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he hid it. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Wow. So it must have been a treasure that was in the property. So that's why I said it may have been mm-hmm. a vein of gold, or I don't know what it could have been. Yep. But he had to buy the field to get, get the it. treasure. Yeah. And so the, the, the principle there is that if you're you're going to um, be, be saved and be part of the kingdom, you have to value it mm-hmm. more than anything else in this world, and you have to give Everything that you have and everything you are to get it. Yep. So you can't be a sinner and still be a Christian. You can't love the world but still love God. Mm-hmm. It's, you're either all in or you're not. It's yep. all or everything, and you got to sell out. Okay. Jesus told a time where he says, "If you're going to come to me, you better count the cost." Yep. Because you're going to pay the price. So see, there are these little principles behind it uh, that shows that that um, we can learn about the nature of the mm-hmm. kingdom of God. And if you notice, that has nothing to do with the power of God, the reign of God, God being in control. It's about us and how we relate to the king. Mm-hmm. We, we know enough about the king and how he relates to us. And it might get back to your question about why are, why is so much of the Bible written and, not, and there's not a whole lot about the kingdom of God. Maybe it's because Paul and Peter and John said, we we know how the king is going to relate to us. We got to work on us. How mm-hmm. do we relate to the king? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And I would say too when we when we talk about the parables, I, I don't I don't have the scripture quotation, but Jesus basically tells his disciples like I've revealed to you the mystery of the kingdom, but to them I speak in parables. Mm-hmm. And so he literally laid out his plan like to his inner circle. Right now, I'm going to make this like a little bit more clear to you. But when I'm preaching. Um, I'm going to preach in in parables, and then you're going to have to actually have an ear to hear and eyes to see, um, you know, to see what I'm talking about. So Jesus even kind of lays out his plan there that I'm speaking in parables about the mystery of the kingdom, but to his inner circle, he kind of revealed it a little bit more clearly. Right, because in the Bible, a mystery is a truth that w- that before was not known mm-hmm. but is now being revealed. Exactly. I think there's one more thing that I want to talk about, um, and you and I were talking about this before the podcast, and maybe we can close on this. Um, and it's very practical. Um, Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us how to pray. And a lot of people say, I don't know how to pray. And you've got a model right there in your Bible called the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people can quote the Lord's Prayer, and that's fine. But it, it, the quote, quoting it is not enough. It is a guide that Jesus gave us. It really should be called the Disciples' Prayer, mm-hmm. not the Lord's Prayer. And it, and it tells us how to pray. Now watch this. It tells us how to relate to the king. It tells me how to communicate with the king. King's already communicated to me. It's called the word of God. But how do I communicate with the king? Jesus said, I'm going to show you how to communicate with the king. So he says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, which is so wonderful that Mm -hmm. I can call the king my father. Yeah. But I still worship him 
because he's sovereign and he's God and he's divine. Yeah. Then he says, your kingdom come. The very first thing you pray about is for Jesus or God's kingdom to come. Mm-hmm. He said the kingdom is at hand. It's already, but not yet. Yeah. And for me, there are several things that I pray about. So I do this. I'm going to be personal. I use the Lord's prayer daily. When I pray, I'll say, Lord, I want your kingdom to come. I'll say, Lord, because I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I'll say, Lord, I pray you'll return. I pray for the rapture and the resurrection to take place. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And then I say, Lord, I pray that your millennial reign will come. I can't wait for that day, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially as bad as this world is. And then I'll pray, Lord, I want your kingdom to come in me. I know I'm saved, but today I want you to rule and reign in me. Yeah. Help me not to say or do anything I shouldn't say or do. Help me to obey you and to please you. And then I'll say, Lord, I pray your kingdom will come today that anywhere the devil has a foothold or a stronghold or over Anderson County, the spirit of religion over this county, I pray you'll remove him and mm-hmm. your angels will come in in place and the, and the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost will be in charge in, instead of anything else. And then I'll say, Lord, I pray your kingdom will come in sinners and backsliders. I do this. Mm-hmm. This is my normal prayer. I say, Lord... Satan and sin are in the hearts of people that I know and around this world. And I pray the gospel will go forth. And I pray you'll use me to shine the light or to share the gospel with somebody and that the truth will come and that they will ask you to save them. And backsliders who've gone back in this and will come back and say, God, I'm so sorry, forgive me. And they will be restored and Satan will be kicked off the throne of their heart and you'll sit on the throne. Now, see, you, I don't know if you've ever thought about praying all that. You just pray, thy kingdom come. Mm-hmm. There's a lot you can pray because yeah. I'm asking the king to be the king. Yeah. And use me and help me to be part of what you're doing. And then you pray, Lord, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. He's the king. He should have his way. Yeah. So just like I said earlier, not my will, but your will be done. The Lord's prayer, we pray that. So today, Lord, will you help me that if I'm going to – I've been in a situation where I'm going to do what my flesh wants – Help me to tell my flesh no. Help me to do what you want. And whatever it is today, every decision I make, let it be a decision that pleases the king. Yeah. Okay? Uh, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, and they're all great, but this is one of those you need to memorize is Matthew six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things in life that we get wrapped up in will be added unto you. Mm-hmm. And so we should pray Lord, your your kingdom come. I'm going to pray about the kingdom things. Whatever matters to you, Lord, let it matter to me. Wow. Okay? And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. All right? So we pray about the kingdom things first. Then we pray about what we need. But what we just found out in Matthew 6, is if I'll seek the kingdom things, I don't have to spend a whole lot of time saying, God, I need this, I need that. Will you do this, you do that? Because God has already promised, if you'll go after the kingdom, I'll give you those things. Mm. Okay? Forgive us our trespasses. Da-da-da. Last line. And... Thine is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. What you finish, what you do and you finish, you say, Lord, I've prayed all these things. I just one more time want to praise you and worship you and recognize it's not my kingdom. Mm -hmm. I'm not in charge. You're in charge. I don't have the power. You have the authority. I don't need to get the glory. I'm just here to point people to Jesus. You need to be recognized. But yours is the kingdom. I'm going to say this, Evan. Maybe we'll close on this. Um, Pastoring for... 31 plus years now. Um, I've watched people in America, good people, church people, people that love Jesus, get wrapped up in this world. I mean, they get wrapped up in it. They'll come to church on Sunday, but boy, all during the week, they are wrapped up. They're, 
They get married. They have kids. They're all into their kids. They're all into their kids' activities. Life is about their children. Life is about their mm-hmm. activities, their 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 habit hobbies and things they want to do. Their, and then they get wrapped up in their career, and they sell themselves to a company or a career, and they work countless hours, and they work overtime, and they become workaholics. And then it's now, now it's about the money, and they want to buy property, and they buy recreational vehicles and and toys and 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 they buy lake houses and then they get a circle of friends and they run around with their friends and they always get together on the weekends and they all they just got this little world and they feel like they're in charge. Yeah. They just feel like I have this little kingdom I've got go and they don't they don't couch it in those terms but in reality they do. And that's fine. I mean, the Bible says eat, drink and enjoy the fruit of your labor. Mm-hmm. If you can buy things, get things, how to leave, praise the Lord, go ahead and don't forget about your pastor. How <laughs> have a throw that in there. Uh Here's the problem is if I make a kingdom and that kingdom becomes greater than the, the kingdom of God, now I have an idol. Yeah. I've set up an idol. I've, I've disthroned, dethroned the king of kings. And boy, you better watch it because then you're going to be in trouble. Anything you do in this life, you need to always say, whatever I have and whoever I am, am and whatever I've accomplished is because the king of kings gave me this, got me here brought this opportunity. I owe it all to him. Mm. And whatever I do, I'm always going to he's always going to come first. Nothing will ever come first. Because if you if you're here today, you're listening and you think, you know, man, he just pegged me. I, I think I'm that way. I mean I go to church, but I don't really pray much, read my Bible much. I'm really just consumed with my own little kingdom. Mm-hmm. Wait till uh wait till the first speck of cancer shows up in your body and you go to the doctor and the doctor says you got cancer, you're going to realize you aren't the king. Yeah. Wait till the next recession comes and you lose everything. Just wait till the next tragedy comes and you can't do a thing about it. You're going to realize you're not in charge and you're not in control. There is one person that you want in control all the time, and it ain't you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's him. Yeah. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. I don't want Jesus to take the wheel. I want Jesus to already Always be behind the, the wheel. wheel. Okay? And and with all due respect to Carrie Underwood, I don't want Jesus to take the wheel. I want Jesus driving the car right yeah. now. Okay? And then I know that wherever I go in life, it's going to be all right because he's in control. Yeah. It's amazing how that message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is as, it's just as applicable in the day we get saved as it is today, however many years into your salvation, you have to every day make the choice, turn for my kingdom, turn towards his kingdom, right. and choose to live for him. So. Absolutely. Good stuff. Well, I hope today that you have enjoyed our episode on the kingdom of God. Uh, if you would, go ahead and send this podcast to somebody who needs it. Share it, promote it, like it, review it on iTunes and Apple and everything else that you can review it on. Get this message to somebody. I hope that we've we've helped you today, helped you read your Bible a little bit better and see the kingdom of God. And uh, we're excited to see you on our next few episodes.